Hi, everyone. Gary Tester with Catholic Charities, and I'm here with... Father Anthony from Catholic Charities as well. I love it when you say that. We're here for another episode of Mercy in Action, and today and for the next few casts, we're going to take a little different turn. We're going to talk about Mercy in Action, but Father, we're going to come from the idea that we're trying to help do one of the spiritual works of mercy, which is to instruct those who need instruction. And it's kind of driven by this whole idea of the election season and everything that goes with it. But I'm excited about what we're going to be talking about. Well, I think it's a good thing that we're doing this because I know that most of the time people think of Catholic charities, you know, oh, they're always doing corporal works of mercy. But I believe that we're also doing it from the spiritual works of mercy point of view. We are all about mercy at Catholic charities. Amen. I couldn't have said it better myself. So why don't we start, as we always do, with you uh, giving us a reading and a reflection, and we'll jump into our conversation. And as always, we begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And our reading is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. Then the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and head south on the road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, the desert route. So he got up and set out. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, that is, the queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury, who had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah, The Spirit said to Philip, Go and join up with that chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said to him, Do you understand what you are reading? He replied, How can I, unless someone instructs me? So he invited Philip to get in and sit with him. Now when we think of this, is that you who are listening to us, you are not the ones who have invited us to come and sit with you. We have invited ourselves into your homes. We have invited ourselves into your podcasts then, so that we can help to explain to you some of the teachings of the, of the church that come to us from the scriptures, that come to us from the Catechism. So here it is, we're launching on this spiritual work of mercy, which is to instruct the ignorant. Now, please don't think that we're trying to offend you in any way by calling you ignorant, but rather, it's more like catechizing. We want to open up for you the treasures of the Church, the treasures that we have in Scripture and the Catechism. We see that this eunuch, this Ethiopian eunuch, we're told that he was in charge of the entire treasury of the Queen of the Ethiopians. And so we feel that we are supposed to be stewards of the treasures that we have of the Church. And therefore we want to open that up to you And over the next few podcasts, as Gary said, we will be trying to do just that. Therefore, 
we probably ask the question all the time, how can we understand unless someone instructs us? And this, in our own little feeble way, we will be trying to do. Well done. I have to profess, you know I'm a, an adult convert to the Catholic faith, and I think in many ways I'm still one of the ignorant. And I think that what I've come to appreciate and understand, Father Anthony, is no matter what I think I know, there's always more to learn. It's like I can go back in and read that story that you just read on a different day and come out with an entirely different understanding of how it impacts my life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the beauty of what we're talking about. I'm coming to you as, as, as our chaplain to say, help me to understand. And I believe that some of the things that I don't necessarily understand as well as I would like to, or some of the things I've come to understand recently, really reflect on that whole concept of help me to understand. And this is all about lifelong learning because we will never, ever know everything. We are all learning every day. And I think even our Holy Father, Francis, tells us that this is what we have to keep on doing. Because he says, you know, he wants to open up the scriptures. He wants to open up the teachings of the church so that we can get to know more. And by knowing more, I think it draws us closer to Christ. You know, it's interesting you talk about the Ethiopian eunuch being in charge of the treasury. And when you talked about we're here in our own feeble way to try and help provide instruction and an awareness of, of what it says, we refer to that in the Catholic Church as the deposit of the faith. Mm -hmm. So we have our own deposit that we're responsible for, certainly you as a priest, in helping us as the faithful to understand where we are. You know, I think it's important to share with folks why we got into this conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, every four years we have a conversation about the formation of conscience and how critically important it is. And it seems to be tied to election cycles. And yet, as you and I were talking in my office one day, it's really not preparation for how we vote in an election, but rather preparation for how we live our lives in anticipation of our ultimate journey to heaven. Right, because, you know, some people probably think, okay, every four years, let us form our consciences so that we can have good citizens. But we have realized that let us form our consciences day by day so that day by day we can be good and faithful citizens. It is truly a lifelong process. It certainly is. So let's talk for a minute. Father, how would we describe the conscience? I think in order to understand how to form it, we first have to understand what it is. How do we explain that? Where do we turn for this? Because... As I was saying to Gary as we sat in his office, I said that, that basically there are three books that the Catholic Church has and presents to all of us. And the three books are the scriptures, the catechism, the catechism, and my least favorite, <laughs> you know, uh, you know the, the code of canon law, but it is there, you know. And, and so when we read the scriptures, we probably will not come across the word conscience the way that we would, we're thinking about it. But we can't read the catechism without finding that word there. So according to the teachings of the church then, and in the catechism 1776, it says, deep within his conscience, 
man discovers a law which he has not laid upon himself, but which he must obey. Its voice ever calling him to love and to do what is good and to avoid evil. This sounds in his heart at the right moment. For man has in his heart a law inscribed by God. Amen. I knew you would do that. So when we think of our conscience, it is really responding to that law within our hearts that is formed by God. And therefore, I think that that is in every person because I haven't come across anybody yet in this world who has not been created by God. Excellent point. Yes. An observation, Father. With the section of the catechism that you just read, and again, you said that was section 1776? Yes. It suggests that in order for me to form my conscience, the first thing I have to do is humble myself and acknowledge that there is a moral truth that exists outside of what I can conceive or create. That's what I hear when you read that section. Precisely. Okay. Because in the beginning, God. (laughs) And nothing else. Yes. Okay. So... Then let's talk for a minute about, you referenced the three books, so we start with sacred scripture. How would I use sacred scripture to help me form my conscience, knowing that if I'm understanding section 1776 correctly, my conscience is there because God has placed it in me because I'm created by God? And this is how, because the person who would have a problem with that is a person who does not believe that the scriptures are the inspired word of God. Because whenever we, we go to Mass and the scriptures are read, at the end of each reading, the reader says, the word of the Lord. And we respond, thanks be, thanks to, God. be to God. I love to joke that sometimes people say thanks be to God because they're glad the reading is over. <laughs> you know, but it's really thanks be to God who has spoken to us mm-hmm. through this word. And St. Paul tells us, you know, he said that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for refutation and for for forming the conscience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And therefore, this is where we would turn. The way you're framing this, Father, it is inspirational because one of the struggles that I have, both at Catholic Charities and then just as, as a, a parishioner at St. Joe's in Orlando, a little plug for my church, um, is the idea that it seems almost as if the phrase forming your conscience is used in some cases cavalierly. Mm. Like we don't talk about form And we don't talk about conscience, but we talk about forming your conscience. And so part of our desire in this conversation is to really break that down, as as you've started to do for us, in terms of, well, first, let's understand what conscience is. And I noticed you didn't go to Webster's Dictionary to define conscience. Oh, oh, not at all. I'd probably go to the Oxford English (laughs) Dictionary, mind you. But But we digress. (laughs) (laughs) So when we talk about that conscience, and it's, it's, it's that piece of us, it's God's law already in us. We humble ourselves to say in, that I recognize that there's a law that exists outside of me. So it's that, it's that sense of good and evil that's within my heart. How then do I look at Scripture to help me to put that together? And this is precisely 
where the church comes in. You know, um, because the reading we started with, with Philip going to that eunuch, here was Philip who was a member of the church. Mm-hmm. There was the eunuch who was outside of the church, so to speak. But yet, he was reading the scriptures, but the scriptures had to be explained to him. Because it's not a matter of individual interpretation. And this is where I believe we sometimes get off track. That everybody thinks that they can interpret scripture the way that they should. No offense to to our separated brethren, you know, in the faith, mm-hmm. but they will allow for that very often. The church says there is one interpretation which the church gives. And so it's for this reason that we have, you know, the priests, the prophets, so to speak, because what is it that the prophets did in the Old Testament? They proclaimed the word, and then, thus says the Lord. So this is what the Lord has spoken. And, and when we think of the priestly role, the priest is one who leads people in celebration. So we're actually celebrating the word of God in our liturgies. And therefore, this is how we know that we'd be on the right path because of the priests who are the prophets. Of course, we want to make sure too that the priests have their consciences formed. Mm-hmm. And this is a continuous thing because, and, and so we have, who do we say, who are the great teachers of the church? The bishops. Mm-hmm. And even the bishops have to make sure that their consciences are formed. But nobody is above Scripture or the Catechism. In my mind, listening to you, that's a great explanation. And I think, again, not assuming that everyone knows the terms and not meaning to get too technical, but so we're talking about the magisterium. Mm-hmm. The difference ah. between the Catholic Church and our other Christian brothers and sisters who fall under the Protestant faiths is the fact that we have a magisterium. That's right. There is something that St. Paul said, and I can't remember where it is. Mm -hmm. If only I had one of my other brothers or sisters around (laughs) who could say it's... But where St. Paul says, you know, do not go beyond what is written. Yes. So that we, we don't go outside of that, but that we stick to this. Because very often... It's the matter of the interpretation. And when we start that interpretation, we're dealing with opinions rather than facts. And that's, I think, one of the things, Father Anthony, that strikes me with our world today. The enemy desires for us spiritually to believe that we can make our own decisions, that we indeed control our own destiny, if you will. And we do through free will. But there's a reality, I think, to the idea that God has placed within me his law. And if I pray, and if I pray, and if I read scripture, and if I pray, God, I believe, can reveal to me what he desires for me to do with my life. And then I think the terminology is obey. And I think what happens is, forgive me if I'm I'm getting too far into spiritual battle, but 
The enemy wants us not to obey. In fact, the enemy is the enemy because of disobedience Mm -hmm. and pride. And so in our human intellect, we can take this concept of forming conscience, throw the humble yourself right out the window and believe that what God is asking me to do is read scripture and make my own determination about what is right and what is wrong in the world. Mm -hmm. Am I on the right track? You're on the right track. Because the thing about it is that if the church does not help her children, then we could say, what would be the point of having the church if we can just have some loose organization where everybody does his or her own thing? And we think of it. What was it that Jesus prayed for the night before he died? That all would be one. That was his prayer. And therefore, I I believe that every time we, we come across this divisiveness within the church, then we know that that is not coming from God, but that's from the enemy. How can we have division in the church, Father Anthony? I acknowledge we do, clearly, and, and we have multiple levels of division. It's, it's, not just, it's not just left against right or top against bottom, but there's just multiple levels of division within the church. How can that be if we're called by Scripture to be, the Lord says, please make them one? Precisely, and therefore... It means that what what should we be doing? I believe that the beginning of the forming of our conscience has to do with repentance. So that we are called to repent. And when we repent, that means that we'll get back on track. So when we talk about humbling ourselves, I know, speaking from personal experience, The act of going to the sacrament of reconciliation is a humbling act Mm -hmm. because I am going to acknowledge that I have sinned Mm -hmm. and I have sinned in these ways and I am asking God to forgive me for the times that I have sinned. Listen to these words from the Catechism. 1781 in the Catechism. Conscience enables one to assume responsibility for the acts performed. If man commits evil, the just judgment of conscience can remain within him as the witness to the universal truth of the good, at the same time as the evil of his particular choice. Let me reflect on that. Earlier you were speaking about the prophets, mm. and I, you and I have talked about Jeremiah. I, just, I am drawn to Jeremiah for a multitude of reasons, but I recall a reading... Um, where he essentially says that all the day long I am the subject of mockery and ridicule because essentially he's saying I speak the word that God tells me to speak. And it seems to me that with what you just read from section 1781, and when I think of the prophet Jeremiah, part of the struggle we have in the world today is sometimes God's truth, the moral truth, is difficult to speak because it's not a popular position. It's it's not what the world wants to hear. And Am, am I on target oh, with that one? Oh, you, you are definitely on target. But what happened with Jeremiah? Jeremiah said that, well, if I didn't speak, it was as if there was fire shut up in my bones. Absolutely. And so I had to speak. And why he felt, he said, oh, Lord, you have duped me. And I've allowed myself to be, be duped. duped. Yes. You know? Yes. But, but throughout the ages, even the... The fathers of the church have told us about that because that that very often we do not speak the truth because we want to curry favor with 
with this group or with the other group. But truth is truth. And when we think of truth, I always say that truth is black or white. Mm -hmm. There, there's nothing gray in truth. So we probably live in the gray area. But living in that area, it is that we want to find the black and white of, of the truth. Of course, there are many divisive issues in, in this election and in any election season. But one of the issues is around life. Mm -hmm. And we believe as Catholics that all life mm -hmm. is sacred and has dignity because yeah. we are created in the image and likeness of God. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that we can't refute that. The mm -hmm. Ten Commandments tell us we shall not kill. Mm -hmm. And so we have to recognize that all life is precious. Mm -hmm. You and I had a conversation with David Branson mm -hmm. doing a podcast. And you and David fascinated me with this talk that even though the infant in the womb is not fully formed as a human, the soul at the point of conception is fully formed. Mm -hmm. So that to me has implications <clears throat> then as I form my conscience, it has implications for what I need to be thinking about in terms of what scripture says and what the catechism says. I still have the ability to form my conscience and conclude what I need to conclude, but the truth that God has put inside of me that I didn't create speaks to the value of that life. And if I come from the standpoint, Father, if we can't protect the most innocent of life, then the obvious disrespect for life we have all along the way plays out. And isn't that what we see in our world today? Yes, because, you know, and, and, and this is it, because they all come together. Because when we think of going to Mass, we, we're always praying. I think in every parish, at least once a week, there's a petition for praying for recognizing the dignity of human life from conception to natural death. You know, so it's, it's that spectrum on which we operate. And, and, and so we, we have to make sure that, that we defend life at all stages. This is what we're about, you know, and, and, we, and we should make sure that we do that. Well, and, and I appreciate how you said that. And, and for me, then, as we look forward to our other podcasts and as we delve into the, the themes of Catholic social teaching, which will start with the sacredness and dignity of each human life, it seems to me that we have to accept that there's a building block principle here. Mm -hmm. Just as you said, where do we start the conscience mm -hmm. formation with sacred scripture? Mm -hmm. Then we go to how the church interprets that sacred scripture for us mm -hmm. and brings sacred tradition in. And then we go to the code of canon law mm -hmm. if we need that final <clears throat> rubric. We... The same thing holds true in terms of life. If we can't acknowledge that all life is sacred mm -hmm. and we don't start with the, the most innocent of mm -hmm. lives, then we will disrespect all mm -hmm. life. And that indeed is, is where mm -hmm. our world unfortunately seems mm -hmm. to be. Yes, because you see, if, if we don't respect that, then it means that we won't respect the other. Yes. And, and, and so it's, it's all of that put together. And yes, we do have to start someplace. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. And, and I hope that our listeners will come away feeling informed about the beauty of how to form that conscience, but understanding first what it is, as you so appropriately read from Section 1776, and then just talking about how we use Scripture and how we use the Catechism and canon law to help us. Yes, because those are our tools, and we can't throw them out the window. So our tools aren't a voting guide. <laughs>
Uh-oh, a voting oh, guide comes in later. Yes, that comes later. But we start with Scripture. Mm-hmm. Yes. I know it's repetitive, but I, again, because it's that way it's cavalierly stated sometimes, you just form your conscience. Mm-hmm. Well, as the Ethiopian eunuch talked about, how can I understand if no one has instructed me? And what we're trying to do, as you said beautifully at the opening, in our own feeble way, is doing our best to help instruct. Mm, yes, because we have this treasure, and we want to make sure that it's not trampled upon. So we are not trying to cast pearls before swine, mm-hmm. but holding the treasure before all persons. Amen. Would you like to wrap us up with prayer, Father? And so I have a prayer. have so many books before me. <laughs> Let us pray. God of love, show us our place in this world as channels of your love for all the creatures of this earth, for not one of them is forgotten in your sight. Enlighten those who possess power and money that they may avoid the sin of indifference, that they may love the common good, advance the weak, and care for this world in which we live. The poor and the earth are crying out. O Lord, seize us with your power and light. Help us to protect all life, to prepare for a better future, for the coming of your kingdom of justice, peace, love, and beauty. Praise be to you. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Father Anthony. A great conversation, and we look forward to continuing our series on spiritual works of mercy, and especially talking about how we can instruct those who are ignorant about the teachings of the church. Looking forward to the next one. Great. Thanks, everyone.